This podcast contains graphic content and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. can't tell what we're doing today ted bundy no we may do that at some point but (laughs) we will be do well i will be doing lizzie borden this is a story that has been told many times it has been depicted in movies and books basically everyone has heard the name lizzie borden it's still one of the most famous crimes and trials in american history it is also Still technically unsolved. But it's not, though. Lizzie Borden was born on July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I'm sorry. Got that out of your system? I just... (laughs) I let the entries of thoughts win. You sure did. (laughs) Her father, Andrew Borden, was a prominent businessman who found success with real estate and manufacturing. He also served as president of Union Bank and was director of several Fall River corporations. So he had money. He had money, honey. He had money, honey. Her mother was Sarah Borden and had unfortunately died in 1863 when Lizzie was not even three years old. From what I could find in the source material, she died of uterine congestion. Some sources say that it could have been something like uterine cancer or an atopic pregnancy. Mm Mm-hmm. However, according to StanfordHealthCare.org, uterine congestion, or also known as pelvic congestion, occurs when varicose veins develop around the ovaries, which sounds so painful. Yeah, it sounds like she was just, she cramped to death. Yeah. It's similar to varicose veins that occur in the legs. The valves in the veins no longer function normally. It causes blood to back up, and it becomes very painful. Mm. Lizzie was the youngest child of Andrew and Sarah. She also had a sister, Emma, who was 11 years older than her. A few years later, after Sarah's death, Andrew Borden married 37-year-old Abby Gray. According to Lizzie Borden, WarpsandWefts.com, the Bordens moved into a modest two-story Victorian house at 92 Second Street in Fall River, Massachusetts, when Lizzie was about 12 years old. Despite Andrew Borden's wealth, he was pretty frugal. While most wealthy people in Fall River lived in a neighborhood called The Hill, Andrew did not. The house was closer to the center part of town, Mm -hmm. like the industrial part. Right. Which would be closer to, like, uh, I'm assuming, like, his Yeah, like the businesses he owned. Yeah. Yeah. The house also didn't have indoor plumbing, which was becoming more popular in that time if you were wealthy. 
I mean, I'd have wanted it if I had money. Oh, yeah. I would have wanted it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm That's not, the first thing. Yeah, I'm not trying to walk outside and pee in the middle of the night. Nope. Outdoors. Nope. Or have someone dump my... Mm-mm. No. Bed, pan, whatever. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. And that's where the Bordens were living on August 4th, 1892. It was a seemingly normal morning in the Borden house. After the family sat down to breakfast together, they all went their separate ways and went about their day. Andrew Borden left to go on a walk around 9 a.m. to visit some local businesses that he owned. Mm -hmm. Lizzie's maternal uncle was staying with the Bordens for a few days to discuss business matters with Andrew. On that particular day, though, he left to go visit other family on the other side of Fall Creek and wasn't due back until around noon. Smart move. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) knowing what we know now. He he just couldn't know how good of a move that was. Yeah. (laughs) Abby... Lizzie's stepmother, remained at home to attend to her household duties. Mm -hmm. Lizzie is reported to have went to the dining room around that time. And around 9.30 a.m., Bridget Sullivan, the housekeeper, comes inside from cleaning windows when she hears a muffled laugh coming from upstairs that she believes to be Lizzie. Gross. Right. Around the same time, Andrew comes home. He greets Bridget before going to the sitting room to take a nap. Bridget goes back to cleaning windows While, according to reports, Lizzie goes out to the barn. So, her dad comes home. She goes out to the barn. Mm -hmm. Around 11 a.m., Bridget hears Lizzie calling for her, stating someone had come in and killed her father. Lizzie found her father's lifeless body sprawled out on the sofa in the sitting room. Half of Andrew's face had been obliterated by an object that would later be identified as an axe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It would later be concluded that Andrew suffered 10 blows to the face. And those pictures. Oh, yeah. Obliterated is the correct word. It is the correct word. Yeah. He just looks like a bomb exploded on the inside of his head. Yeah. He's bad. It's rough. He's bad. Lizzie Borden's neighbor, Adelaide Churchill, would later tell investigators that she spotted Lizzie outside of the house, clinging to the side door. Lizzie was visibly upset. And when she asked Lizzie what was wrong, Lizzie tells her that her father had been murdered. After she notifies police, Adelaide goes over to the Borden house. Her and Emma sit with Lizzie in the kitchen. This is when Lizzie tells them that her stepmother received a letter from a messenger summoning her to see a sick friend. Lizzie then says she thought her stepmother had come home. It was then that Emma and Adelaide go search for Abby upstairs. They find Abby laying face down on the floor in the guest bedroom, dead. Abby Borden had suffered 19 blows to the back of her head. So that rhyme that we mm-hmm. did in the beginning is wrong. Catchy, but wrong. Right, um, right, it wasn't right. 40 and 41 blows. Andrew yep. got 10. Abby got 19. Mm-hmm. When investigators arrive, they are shocked by the scene in front of them. They see Andrew first. He was still warm to the touch with his wounds still oozing blood. When they see Abby, she is cold to the touch with dark blood matted to her head. Mm-hmm. It's because of these observations that investigators conclude that Abby died first probably around 9.30 a.m., while they think Andrew died around 10.45 a.m. So, Abby finished her breakfast, went upstairs to, like, make the bed in the guest room. And then got got. She got got. And then Andrew goes on his little landlordian stuff. (laughs) Landlordian stuff. And he comes home and he's going to take him a little nap. Mm -hmm. And he got got. That early in the morning. Yeah, you know he was up at, like, (laughs) 3.30. Yeah. (laughs) Where at 10 a.m. He's like, you know what? It's nap time. It's nap time. I've had I've had a six hour work day already. <laughs> like, 
The scene was so bloody and just downright shocking. Investigators were worried that Jack the Ripper was now in America or the equivalent. Mm. I mean, I I understand that. Mm -hmm. What was weird about the crime scene and what really puzzled police was the fact that other than on and around the bodies, there wasn't any blood anywhere. As they continued to search the house, they did find a bucket of bloody cloths in the washroom of the cellar and a tiny speck of blood on the underskirt of Lizzie's dress. That that blows my mind about this case. The lack of blood. Yes. You're telling me somebody was in there just swinging an axe. Just swinging it. On people's skull. And there's no swing back blood spatter. There may have been that, but there wasn't like any throughout the house or... Because like for me, if someone did that, they would look like Carrie from the Stephen King novel. Right, right. And I'm sorry, you're going to trek that through the house. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. It's just weird. Quite weird. When police asked Lizzie about the blood, Lizzie explained that she had been menstruating, and that was the reason for the bloody cloths and the blood on her dress. Homegirl has the lightest flow of all time to have just that. Just a speck. Just a little speck. Yeah. No, ma'am. Investigators did not press this issue because, well, during that time, a woman's period was a taboo subject and they were not going to touch that conversation with a 10-foot pole. Any good detective would have been like, prove it. <laughs> that, I mean, that sounds horrible, but like, would you not have been like, okay, well. Not back then. Prove they, it. They were just, they just wrote that off. Mm-mm. Stupid. Yeah. Police did find what they thought could be the murder weapon. They found a head of an axe in a bucket of old tools in the cellar. It was a three and a half inch blade, which matches the wounds on the victims. But did it have blood on it? No, it did not. Mm-mm. Somebody was cleaning. Mm-hmm. But it's just what I said. A head of an axe. The handle was broken. It was later known as the handleless hatchet. It was believed that the break in the handle was a fresh break. So I think they thought that during the butchering, the handle broke. They were swinging so hard mm-hmm. that it broke. Yeah. Oh, God. That sounds like it's a haunted object, though. Right. Handleless axe. Mm-hmm. It's probably got Lizzie's ghost attached to it. Props. So, investigators still feared this was some madman that was now on the loose in town. Those fears were soon squashed, though, when investigators realized that both doors were locked at the time of the murders, and they were locked from the inside, and no one had seen a random person coming in or out of the house or even around the property. Mm-hmm. There was no forced entry and nothing was stolen. So there's two suspects here. Right. They decided that their best bet was to turn to those inside of the house. Mm -hmm. Lizzie quickly became the prime suspect. And this was hard for police to believe. I mean, here is this pretty unremarkable woman. She was active in her church, taught Sunday school. She was an active member of the community and part of a few social movements as well. Mm Mm-hmm. People like Lizzie Borden just don't do this sort of thing. Women don't do this sort of thing. Mm. But the circumstantial evidence against Lizzie kept piling up. A few things stuck out to investigators. Even though Lizzie claimed to be downstairs at the exact time her stepmother was being butchered to death, she claimed to have heard nothing. So remember, Lizzie said she was in the dining room Mm -hmm. at the same time that Abby was upstairs. Upstairs. So you're telling me you're down in the dining room and your stepmother gets 19 blows to the back of the head and you hear nothing. Nada. 
Yeah. So that's what she says. <laughs> what she said. I mean, I would imagine that Abby would have screamed at least once. Right. When she first got hit. Mm-hmm. You would think. At the time Andrew was being murdered, Lizzie told police that she was in the loft of the backyard barn for about 15 to 20 minutes. She said she was in there searching for lead sinkers for a fishing trip. When police go to investigate this loft, it is unbearably hot and stuffy. They had a hard time believing anyone would voluntarily stay up there for 20 minutes. Also, there were no footprints to prove she had been up there. Mm Mm-hmm. They learned that the peaceful home the Borden seemed to live in was a facade. Things were actually pretty tense in the house. For one, both Lizzie and Emma did not like how frugal their father was. They believed they should be living in a place like the Hill, you know, where the wealthy people Mm -hmm. in Fault River lived, and not as middle class. Right. They resented their father for this. There are reports that Andrew gave Abby's sister property that Andrew owned. And Lizzie and Emma believed it should have went to them. So they were pretty, pretty pissed off about that. Right. Which I could understand that at least. Yeah. Now, how you react to that, Lizzie, um, I don't quite understand. But they also didn't get along with their stepmother Mm -hmm. very well. It is reported that Lizzie and Emma called her Mrs. Borden, which seems very proper to me. Like she's a teacher or something. Yeah. Not like you have a loving relationship with your stepmother. Yeah. Formal. That's the word I'm looking for. It seems very formal. Right. You know? Right. For it to be, like you mm-hmm. said, your step Yeah. Also, it is reported that Lizzie had built a roost for pigeons in the barn, but Andrew had beheaded the pigeons, which... I mean, that would have been red flag number one to me, is the fact that that bitch had pigeons. <laughs> 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 right? What in the Mike Tyson is going on? Because you know, he flies pigeons or doves or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> But that's not all they learn. When they ask those around town and the people closest to the Bordens, it's not looking good for Lizzie. Witnesses told police that a woman they identified as Lizzie went to Smith's Drugstore in Fall Creek. There, she tried to buy puricic acid, which is poison. Way to be subtle. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The reason she said she needed this was to clean a sealskin cape. However, you couldn't just buy that willy-nilly. You needed a doctor's note, which mm-hmm. I don't know why, what doctor's writing for poison. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. So the pharmacist refused to sell it to her, which good for you. Mm-hmm. But that made the police think an axe wasn't her first choice of murder weapon. Mm-mm. When they talked to the Borden's neighbor, Alice Russell, Alice tells police that the night before the murders, Lizzie was over at her house. She confided in Alice and told her of her worry that one of her father's enemies was going to come and kill him. Convenient. Yeah. Convenient. What a random thing to say to someone. Mm -hmm. And like you said, convenient. But not before. Yeah. Alice also tells them that on August 7th, three days after the murder, Alice witnesses Lizzie burning a blue corduroy dress in the kitchen, which is reported to have been what Lizzie was wearing at the time of the murders. Why you gotta burn clothes? Never have I had clothes that I wanted to get rid of for any reason and been like, I should just set these on fire. Right. With all of this information, police charged Lizzie with the murder of Andrew and Abby Borden. With all of this information, police charged Lizzie with the murder of Andrew and Abby Borden. They essentially believed that resentment and money were the motives, and even though it was circumstantial evidence at best, they thought they got the person responsible. And they did. (laughs) Lizzie's trial began June of 1893. 
judges Caleb Bludgett, which... That sounds like he (laughs) should be the judge for this case. (laughs) If I'm saying that right. B-L-O-D-G-E-T. I can get down with the way you said it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even going to try. Justin Dewey and Albert Mason presided. The prosecutors in this case was Jose Knowlton and William H. Moody. Lizzie's lawyers were Andrew Jennings and George D. Robinson. Prosecution's first hurdle was convincing the jury that a woman could have committed a crime such as this. Not their sexism and misogyny get in the way I mean, of solving a crime. Not surprising. The jury was all men. It was 12 men. Mm-hmm. Because, well, women were not allowed to sit on a jury in Massachusetts until 1950. Mm-hmm. So to convince this jury of 12 men that a woman could do this, they played into the stereotypes such as slyness and cleverness of women. Okay. Yeah. They explained what motive Lizzie would have had and the means that she would have had to do it. But in the end, most of the case they had was circumstantial. Mm -hmm. And the first thing the defense did was attack the fact that the prosecution was relying on such. There was no murder weapon. The handleless axe had no blood on it. Nor did the other four axes that they presented as possible murder weapons. There was essentially no blood on Lizzie after the murders took place. And to defend the fact that Lizzie burned the dress she was wearing the day of the murders, Emma, Lizzie's sister, took the stand. Emma stated that the dress had been very old and stained, and so was destroyed. Lizzie never took the stand. The only sentence she spoke was, I am innocent I leave it to my counsel to speak for me. Which, smart, because usually when people get on stand... It, it doesn't does not well. go in their favor. No. Defense rested their case and left Lizzie's fate in the hands of the jury. After two weeks of deliberation, Lizzie walked out a free woman. After she was acquitted, Lizzie and Emma inherited $350,000, which in today's money would be close to $10 million. They, so, were, they were sitting well. Yes. They moved out of the boarding house, which totally would have to... Mm -hmm. and bought the house they always dreamed of in the hill. They named the property Maplecroft. Lizzie changed her name to Lizbeth, which, I'm sorry. We were talking about that earlier. (laughs) How are you going to go from Lizzie to Lizbeth? Nobody's going to know. Nobody. Why don't you name yourself Patricia or something? I just don't get it. Like, I would have moved also away. Yeah, I would have moved like across the country or even to another country. She moved to the fancy neighborhood. Essentially. But that's where they lived their lives. However, 12 years later, Emma moved out of Maplecroft and never returned. No one knows what made the rift between the sisters happen. Did Emma learn something new? Did Lizzie do something to scare Emma off? Whatever it was, the sisters never spoke to each other again. She told her. Maybe. She told her. They got wine drunk and she told her. Neither of them... (laughs) Wine drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of them married or had children. And Lizzie lived as a recluse with her dogs until her death in June of 1927. Coincidentally, Emma died nine days later. Lizzie never really spoke to the press or told her side of the story. To this day, it is speculated what happened in the Borden house that fateful August day. Some historians theorize that Lizzie was covering up for Emma and that Emma was actually not out of town that day. There are some that say she was the one who committed the murders. Mm-hmm. Some say that Lizzie or even both of the sisters hired someone to kill their dad and stepmother. 
there were actually conflicting accounts that really hadn't been looked into that an assassin had been fleeing Fall River also. Despite all of the theories and the fact that she was acquitted, Lizzie is still known as one of the most famous murderers in American history. So, I'm of the opinion that Lizzie did it. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. The fact that she tried to buy poison the day before. I mean, real, real, I mean, she was being real sneaky. Yeah. And just the fact that she says she heard nothing at the time of Abby's death, like, I'm not buying that at all. She had to hear something. Yeah. Even if Abby, like, didn't scream. I feel like you would have heard... She hit the floor. Yeah, she would have hit the floor. You would have probably heard it broke through their skulls. Like, uh-huh. you would have heard that, probably. I mean, mm-hmm. metal hitting and cracking open a thick bone. You would have heard that. The only other theory that I think is plausible is that Lizzie let someone inside the house to do it. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't make sense that she didn't have any blood on her whatsoever. No. And that Adelaide Churchill saw her basically right after the murders. And Adelaide never reported of seeing Seeing any blood blood on on Lizzie. So that doesn't add up. And I can understand why prosecution had a hard time explaining that, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was something easy for the defense to cling on to. Yeah, cling to. So that doesn't make sense. But everything else just. And did they not have the um, housemaid like on the stand? Bridget. Bridget. Yeah. The only thing she really said was that she heard Lizzie laughing upstairs. But Lizzie denies being upstairs, so. Okay, Lizzie, was it a ghost? Right. And my thing, too, like, is, and I think you brought this up to me, was her dad beheaded those pigeons. Mm -hmm. And how did her dad die? And also my coworker, which I like to just talk to my coworkers about the cases I'm doing, Mm -hmm. just because I get excited about them. But one of my coworkers brought up the fact, she was like, I wonder how many pigeons she had. Did she have 10? Ah, yeah so she and i are on the same wavelength there i was like that's a good question she did it though though i do i do love the theory that it was bridget and that she was like a witch yeah i saw that too i do love that i there's also a theory that lizzie did it butt ass naked i could see that Mm -hmm. i mean she'd have a lot of shit to put back on real quick for her neighbor to see her because you know they had like panties pantaloons thigh-high socks Put the clip shoes on, corset, a dress, <laughs> yeah. like all all kinds of shit. Like she'd have to get mm-hmm. dressed real quick. Yeah. But I mean, you could probably just like slide the dress yeah. off and then slide it back on and then just tighten her back up. Mm-hmm. So it was time. I mean, we don't know exact time of death, really, because, mm-hmm. you know, it was the 1890s. I always thought that was confusing, too. Like looking at the crime scene photos for Andrew, because on Abby, you can kind of see Mark's. Mm-hmm. As to, like, where she was hit. Yeah. But him, it was, like, all his head. Oh, yeah. Like, how did you decide it was 10? <laughs> right? How did you figure that out back then? Right. Like, how did you... Because, I mean, he just looks like... It could have very well been 40. Yeah. So I, mean, like, he, I mean, he really just looks like something exploded inside of his head. Mm-hmm. So, I'm like, how did they get that number? <laughs> I don't understand. No, unless there was, like, marks on the couch or something. But even Maybe. then, it's just like... Yeah, because, I mean, he just... I mean, his stuff was just... Mm-hmm. Maybe because of the wounds were oozing, but even then it just looks like his face is just like open. Mm-hmm. Like if you are you going to post the crime scene photos? Yeah, I'll post them. <laughs> yeah. Um, warning, warning. Uh, <laughs> but they're, you know, they're obviously really old photos, but you can, still, you can still see. I mean, yeah, like I said, Abby, you can see where she was hit for the most part, even with the old Tommy photos. Mm-hmm. But him, it's just like a 
what used to be a head is now just mm-hmm. like a pile. But I, I think the pigeon and him coral the correlation with that is pretty. Cutting, he was cutting her little her little pidgey pigeons heads off, and mm-hmm. she was like, "Say chop, less, chop chop, my fucker." <laughs> Mm-hmm. The Lizzie Borden house is now a bed and breakfast, and I want to stay there. I will. I would love to do that. I will be taking a nightlight. <laughs> you gonna sleep? You gonna sleep on that replica couch they have in there? Fuck no! <laughs> that is just bad juju. It is. Yeah. I don't know. Sleeping anywhere in that house would be bad juju. Really? I mean, I'd sleep in like you gonna sleep in the guest bedroom, whichever room Amy wasn't murdered in. That's, it was their bedroom, it was, wasn't it? It was the guest bedroom. Oh, no, I'm sleeping in Lizzie's room. <laughs> I also watched this video of, it's like, I'll post the link, but they they did this thing where they got a jury together, and it was men and women, and but they had a prosecutor and a defense attorney basically having the same argument. Oh, and they like They did, put her back on, up on like a mock trial, case. A mock case, yeah. And it was a hung jury on both counts, which I find to be pretty... Interesting, because mm-hmm. I feel like now if she would be tried on the same, just you know, same evidence, whatever, she'd still be found. I mean, she would be found guilty. I don't know though. Yeah, it was just interesting that it was a hung jury. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of this episode, <laughs> stay <laughs> like hang hang tight because when I was researching this case, I thought it would be funny if I had not funny, just kind of cool if I had like a kids kind of singing the rhyme in the beginning that Katie and I did. Because when kids sing stuff like that, it's just creepy. It's just creepy. And I, Mikey was going to edit, like, creepy music in the background. So I got Mason to to say it, and it just wound up being cute. Yeah. It's so precious. It is. We have, we'll have that at the end of the episode. It's just really cute. So if you want to listen to it, it's there. Um, He's precious. It is listen the, to him. Yes. It'll be at the very end. I'm sorry for the late episode. Um, Katie was in the er yep and i was there with her friday friday yeah and it was father's day weekend and then we had some mic difficulties because we went to go record on monday because our mm-hmm. weekends were super full yeah. we usually record on saturdays we try to yeah yeah and sometimes then, it doesn't work out that way but yeah. so then we like recorded the entire episode and then found out that one of our mics had been like halfway unplugged the whole time. Mm-hmm. So anytime one of us talked, it was just like this low buzz that was just throughout the entire episode. Mm-hmm. So, and then we both have jobs. So, <laughs> so, and I have two kids. Kayla has two children and I work full time. So <laughs> we, I had to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> so the only time that we could record was. Friday. <laughs> yeah. So we're sorry for the late episode. That's going to happen every now and then. Yeah. Truly, I mean, guys. Like, we love doing this, but, and we will continue to do this, but sometimes life just gets in the way. Yeah. But we if will always. If this ever became like a job, it would be different. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we both still have jobs, and um, even if this becomes a job, Kayla still has kids. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I also have a medically fragile child so that yeah so there i mean they're really there's going to be like weekends where we may not have an episode because they do like travel back and forth to saint jude so Mm -hmm. so yeah but we do our best and we appreciate you guys listening and continuing to support us yes all right well we will put this out asap so it should be by the time you listen to this we're recording and editing friday and it'll be out 
Saturday? Either tonight or tomorrow morning. Yeah. So, anyways, thanks, guys. And we will see you next time. Yep. Stay tuned for the little Mason. Yeah, stay tuned for little Mason. Thanks. Bye. Bye. When Lizzie Warden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax when she saw that she had done. She gave her father 41. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M3Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook under the name of our podcast, which is Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot.